Hello, this is Rob Carmichael with another Mainly Matters business discussion today, and I'm happy to have John Reed as my guest. We're going to talk about banking, past, present, and future with one of the leading executives in Maine's banking industry over the last 31 plus years. John, welcome to Mainly Matters. Well, thanks, Rob. Nice to be here. I, uh, I'm not sure if I'm one of the leading bankers. I've been there maybe the longest, <laughs> but I'll, I'll do my best. Well, you know, I, I've got to give everybody uh, a little disclosure here before we start talking. One is that uh, I, you are my boss. I think a lot of people that are listening would know that, but if those that don't, but more importantly, you've been a friend for oh, 40 years or so, a uh, close friend for at least over 25, I'd say. Uh, anyway, so it, it's uh, it's going to be fun today. I, I obviously know a lot about your background, and I think uh, today we want to try to enlighten people who may not be as familiar with the banking industry in Maine, uh, the credit union world, uh, and exactly what you've been involved with over all these years. Now, you are approaching, if my math is correctly, you are on your 31st year. You just passed 31 years as the CEO and the president of, uh, president CEO of Maine Savings Federal Credit Union. That is correct. And we are embarking on, I think, January. You, I think this is this is really, really a great time because you are going to start your last year as the uh, CEO of Maine Savings after 31-plus uh, years. You'll finish, actually, with over 32 years. Is that correct? That is. That is correct. Sounds crazy, but that's right. It's hard to believe you must have started when you were 18, something like that, I think. <laughs> I look it. I look exactly. it. Exactly. <laughs> well, let's, I mean, there's been a lot that's happened over over all your career. I know you've you've seen an, a, a tremendous amount of change in the banking industry, but let's start back kind of at the beginning. I know you graduated from the University of Maine. Uh, tell us how you got into banking, how the whole thing started, uh, and when, when you started at Maine Savings. Sure, I'd be happy to. Um, you know, it's it's been a long career, so I'm I'm not sure I can uh, do this in 30 minutes or so, but I'll do my best. Um, and I'll uh, I'll throw a few curveballs in there too. But um, but yeah, I have a I think I have a maybe a short answer and a long answer to that. So um, I'll try to do both and and speed it up. Um, I normally would automatically answer with the short version. Uh, when I was, you know, early in my banking career, I was busy creating businesses and growing main savings. So I didn't uh, think a lot about my past. I didn't reflect a lot about my career. Um, I find myself reflecting a lot more now that I announced my retirement a year ago and I've still got a little over a year to go. But um but I, I reflect a lot and I, I think about some of the things that you know, played a role in my development and things that uh, contributed to my career growth. And, and, um, and I think I'll, that'll be a little longer story, you know, if I, if I may, because I know this is about leadership and, and that type of thing. So, um, but I, I have to say that I, I grew up in the, the retail business. My parents owned uh, three stores, a couple of clothing stores and a shoe store. So one of the only ways to prosper in retail and owning your own business is uh, focus on customer service. So I learned that at a very young age. I worked in the business at a young age. I listened to my parents talk about their business and, and customer service and how important that was. So I ended up going to uh, the University of Maine. Very proud of that. And um, I have a BA degree in political science. Uh, I often say it's a BS degree in political science just because I can BS with the best of them. And <laughs> maybe that's why I, uh, I BS my way through some interviews and, and got some of these jobs. Um, but anyway, so I, I, uh, I enjoyed the degree. I, uh, my easy thing was to go back and went into uh, the family business. And I think after uh, a short while, I figured out that my parents were not ready to 
let go. It wasn't my business. It was their business. And um, so, or maybe they didn't think I was cut out for it. I'm not sure. But uh, so I always had an interest in, in finance. I um, was close to double majoring in, in that at, at school. Um, so I wanted to, I had a desire to get into banking and I didn't know how to do it. I wanted to go in at maybe a branch manager level and I had no experience in banking. So how am I going to do that? Well, I took the insurance route. I went to work for a large insurance company, um, sold insurance and investment products and became licensed in a host of, of investment products and, and uh, was successful. But I still wanted to get into banking. So I, I was constantly applying for branch management positions around the state and never getting a response to any of them. And I remember one day I got a call from the HR director at Northeast Bank, which was a, a great uh, Maine-based commercial bank. Um, and I had no idea why he was calling. Well, I had sent a resume to him like three or four months prior to and forgotten all about it. And um, he was calling me to interview me for a, a, a branch manager position, which I was shocked. Um, so anyway, so uh, I was as surprised as anyone. And um, he ended up hiring me. And and uh, that was the, the beginning. So that was that's kind of the uh, the short story on how I got into banking. And now. You know, maybe a, a little longer story. Uh, I've uh, I've spent about 30 years building businesses, and certainly with Maine Savings. Um, and I don't want to sound hokey here at all, but I think I've I've learned a, a fair amount of uh, when it pertains to leadership, and and um, I think I have a, a few things I'd like to impart on. Uh, that can be used maybe by all ages, no matter what stage of their career, you know, they might be in. So, um, but let, again, when you, uh, when you start just before you get into that, John, mm -hmm. I, now I think it's important for the audience to recognize that you began as a CEO and maybe you're going to get into this as you start talking about those lessons, but you started at the age of 31 as the president and CEO of Maine Saints. Yeah, actually, it was 34. Oh, 34. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah. See, so, see I'm a numbers a guy. Age. I'm a numbers guy. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, but you're right. It was a young age. And I will. I'll, I'll, I'll talk about a little bit about Northeast Bank and then my, my time with Bangor Savings Bank, which uh, both were very important to me. So, um, but yeah, I, 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 I want to, you know, I'll, talk a little bit about athletics, which was very important to my life and, and still is. And I think um, athletics kind of molded my personality and, and instilled, you know, morals and what's right, what's wrong. Um, I think everyone can look at their careers and, and go back and reflect on what might have driven them. Uh, any extracurricular activity, whether it's sports or music or, or anything else. But, um, but basically it's building character and that's, you know, that's kind of what I've been reflecting on, uh, more lately. Um, so actually, <clears throat> you know, we all have people that are very important in our lives growing up. Some that, you know, played a huge role in, in developing that, they were very important to us or a teacher or coach or whatever. So I, I just want to talk for a second about one fellow by the name of Chip Kluke. And I don't know if it was Chip or Chip to tell you the truth. It was Mr. Kluke to me, but he was the principal of our middle school. And, and um, I was kind of afraid of him in that role, but, uh, but he was also the baseball coach for our farm team baseball league. And that's a, uh, as many know, that's a, at a really young age. I, I can't remember to tell you the truth at what age farm team is, but I might have been 10 years old or something. So, um, But he was a very different person on the baseball field uh, than as the principal of our middle school. He was very kind, encouraging, caring. Um, 
And he instilled a sense of confidence in me that, that I've carried with me since a very young age. And I honestly believe the confidence that have, has driven me, um, he had a lot to do with that back when I was 10, 11, 12 years old. Um, <clears throat> at that time, I thought I was a pretty good baseball player. And he had me pitching in championship games with other team members that were four and five years older. And I, I can specifically remember thinking to myself, why am I playing with these older guys? Um, you know, but he instilled the confidence in me that, uh, you know, made me think that I was one of the best players and I've, I've carried that confidence. And I think that's a huge leadership trait. Um, I've carried that since that time. Um, and I, it really wasn't until college and maybe even thereafter that I realized that, you know, I don't think I was the best athlete in school. I, but at the time, I thought I was and I played like I was. Um, so he instilled that confidence. So to me, if you want to be a leader, you have to have that confidence. And again, I'm getting to this, my banking career and how it started. So. So if you mentor or coach a younger person, instill confidence in them, you know, make them believe. That's that's what he did with me. Um, he made me believe that I was the best there, there was, and I, and I played like it. Um, so I, you know, it's important, I think, also to reflect on these things and, and call these people out. And I feel bad that I never had this discussion with him. And he's passed now, so I can't. So I feel bad about that because he's, he changed my life at a very early age. Um, so, again, there's a fine line between ego and, and arrogance, so you have to be careful. There's nothing wrong with, with a real strong ego. But if you lack the confidence, it can spill over to arrogance. And uh, you have to be extremely careful. I remember one of my CFOs, many years ago, um, had the finest education, uh, one of the, the best schools in the country. Uh, this person was very smart, very sharp, uh, did a great job, worked very hard. But this person had to make sure everyone knew that they came from the best school in the, in the nation that they did do a good job, that they, you know, were the best at what they did. They would tell people that. And I had to sit down with this person and say, look, you have the, the confidence, uh, but you, you've already become successful and you don't have to tell people that you're successful um, because that spills over to being arrogant. And that's, that's a downfall. So, um, you know, that's, just uh just an anecdote that i remember distinctly yeah it's a great um, it's a great point in uh you know i've i've often said to people in in many cases leadership is also about taking advantage of opportunities people call it luck but i i say many times it's about taking advantage of opportunities and sometimes without that confidence that you've you've gained from whatever source as you mentioned people yeah. sometimes don't take advantage of those opportunities that are in front of them that's right. That's true. Very true. Um, and even in business, I mean, if you display confidence in, in front of clients or like in the mortgage business with realtors, um, they can read through that very quickly. So if you don't have confidence when you're at the table, a realtor will take their client elsewhere. So it's, it's um, confidence is extremely uh, important with, in business and in every aspect of life. Um, so the next, the next item that I'd like to talk about is passion. And I know a lot of your, your other guests have, have talked about some of these same things and hopefully I can put a little different twist on them, but, um, you know, it's important, whatever you do in life to be, to be passionate about it. Um, if you want to be a leader of your family or your friends group or your business or your career choice, you have to be passionate. You have to have really strong feelings and emotion about what you're doing. Uh, you can't be a quiet wallflower and expect to, to lead others, um, whether it's against family or sports or business or your career. Um, 
So what I've learned over 40 years in banking um, is that life's too short not to be passionate about what you do. Um, it's fun to be passionate. So if you're not passionate, you need to change what you're doing. I, I remember growing up, my my parents made me take piano lessons for years, <clears throat> and I wasn't passionate about it. I just didn't like it. Now I look back and wish I had continued on, but but I didn't. They they had me going to Boy Scouts, and I wasn't passionate about it. My brother ended up an Eagle Scout, and I uh, and I ended up not going very far in, in Scouts. Um, so I, I tell people at work, I still tell people that you need to be passionate about main savings. You need to be passionate about banking. And if you can't be, that's okay. But maybe it's not the profession that's best for you. There's many things out there. So choose, choose something you can be passionate about. Um, so that's, you know, and, you know, a little story I have with, with passion again, uh, relates to sports, but uh, a few people that were huge impacts um, with me is one was was uh, my football coach Tim Wilson, who who you know and and um, as as many know we we played against each other all through our high school years. But but when I was in fifth or sixth grade, he I hung out with the, the high school football team all the time. My brother was five years older and played on the high school team. And maybe that's why I did, but I hung out. So coach Wilson took me under his wing and we became uh, very, very close. I mean, he taught me how to tape ankles and knees. I was chasing balls, doing a ton of grunt work, but most importantly, I was able to, um, to watch him and how he treated people the football team at practices at games in the locker room. Um, you know, I, I, to this day, I think he must've had a doctorate in psychology because he was incredible the way he could uh, get people jazzed up. I mean, our team was very passionate about the game of football, passionate about winning about being a team, you know, understanding people, our teammates and fans, you know, all those life lessons. Um, but I, I remember, and I'll never forget it, <clears throat> I used to uh, go to a summer basketball camp in Boston every summer growing up. And then um, it would run into a little bit into preseason football. It didn't, didn't matter until high school. So my freshman year in high school, when I finally got to play for Coach Wilson, um, I was a couple days late to preseason workouts because I was still playing basketball and I can remember and anyone that played for this fellow will know what I'm talking about. Um, <clears throat> I came into the locker room and he said, come into my office. I want to talk to you. And then I'm, I'm thinking, you know, this is horrible. What's going to happen here. So he comes in and he's got this way about him. He had this smile on his face and he basically said, I understand you've been playing basketball. And I said, yes. And he says, are you all done with that round ball? <laughs> and the way he said it, it was like, yes, I am. And I'm ready to play football. <laughs> and I'm telling you, if, if, if you played for him, you'd know what I'm talking about. But he, you know, he basically at that point said, you know, go run 20 laps and then we'll start practice. Um, so it was, uh, it was quite a, uh, a privilege to to play for a fellow like oh, I that. I saw his passion across across the other side of the field against you guys back in those days, and he yeah. certainly did bring that. And you know, I think we both know that football coaches in general brings it generally bring out the best examples of leadership and how to build a team. So, what you're yeah. saying, I can relate yeah. to. Yeah. Yeah, those those little things, and again, reflecting back, it's it's great to think about those things uh, in a more serious manner, and and being able to take the time to think about those. So, you know that unfortunately he left after my freshman year, um, but fortunately another fellow came in by the name of Charlie Collins, who was right fresh out of college, and he brought 
along a tremendous amount of passion. He was a player in college and um, it was just a, a fantastic two years that I spent with him as well. But again, I think the moral of the story here is that, you know, are you passionate about your job and your life? Um, if not, think about changing, do something different. Life is way too short. Um, so, and if you're coaching or mentoring others, uh, are they passionate and coach them, mentor them? If they're not, maybe they need a career change, or maybe you can say something that will help them in their career. Again, life is, is so short. Um, and then I, I guess I would transition to be the, into the idea of being uh, the need or desire to be a leader and, and talking about community as well, because, and we'll talk about that a little later, but um, my father, he always, I remember he, he would say that, you know, either you want to be a little fish in a big pond or a big fish in a little pond. And, and <clears throat> Maine is, is a little pond. So there's no way around it. And I, I always stayed in Maine. I never, I never ventured out. Um, so I don't know if I ever became a, a big fish in this little pond. Hopefully I'm an impactful or relevant fish in, in the pond at least. But, um, but my folks were very involved with community and they thought it was very important to be involved with chamber, Kiwanis, charities, that, that type of thing. I can remember in high school, I volunteered or whatever to be president of the varsity club. And I kicked myself every night because I had to, to do a, a ton of public speaking at, at a young age, which uh, just killed me. I thought, what, a, why did I do that? You know, but now I'm thinking that's the best thing I, I could have done. It's uh, it just uh, set the stage. So then enter uh, coach John Parola, who, um, you know, he, I guess he must have seen at a young age, I, he was my coach in football, basketball, and baseball from sixth grade, actually through high school, because he then became my football coach my senior year. But um, So I guess he saw confidence and passion that I had, and he ended up constantly putting me in leadership roles in virtually, you know, every situation. So um, you know, I, he had me as captain of every team I was ever on. And, and so I, I was fortunate to have those leadership experiences. Um, and I, I think those experiences, you know, set the stage for me. Um, and here I am, you know, 40 years later. So, um, fortunately at the time we, we won a lot, but, um, but not always. So I, I remember the one takeaway from, Coach Proler, I, I'll never forget, is we, we it was grandma school basketball and we played for the championship and we lost. So I was in the, the locker room moping around and and he came up to me with a trophy and said, hey, Reed, I, uh, I want you to take this championship trophy. I want you to take it over to the other team's locker room and present the trophy to them. So I, I did. Um, and I think you know, I learned at that time being a leader requires you to do the tough things that others may choose not to or certainly not want to. But um, I'll, I'll never forget it. And um, it was uh, just a, a leadership type of experience that he provided for me. So, again, I developed confidence, passion and desire to lead at I think at a really, really young age and fortunately I had those mentors and coaches that, that, um, worked on those things with me. And, um, <clears throat> and so, you know, that long story is that when Northeast bank called and I interviewed for a job that I had absolutely no experience at, I think I showed them confidence, passion and desire to lead. And I can't figure out why, why they, they hired me, but they did. So, and well, I think well, the only thing yeah. I, I, the only thing I'm disappointed in is you didn't bring a trophy over to our locker room <laughs> when, when we played you. 
<laughs> too much of a rival. I just <laughs> couldn't do it. No, I don't think I don't think I ever had to. No. <laughs> so yeah, that's great. Those are great examples of, of of clearly those mentors set the stage. So now you you start your career. You you're starting with Northeast Bank, and mm-hmm. yeah. So let's go yeah, from there. So, <clears throat> so Northeast Bank was a was strictly a commercial bank. The last thing we wanted to see walk through the door was a customer that wanted a mortgage or an auto loan. We we were commercial bankers, and that's that's how I was trained, which I feel great about. I think the training I received from the, the person in charge of that operation was probably one of the best in the state. I think to this day, I, I believe that. And um, so I was very fortunate. <clears throat> Spent a couple of years at Northeast Bank, and then I moved on to Bangor Savings Bank. Bangor Savings Bank was different in the sense that they were not a, at the time, they didn't focus on commercial banking. They focused on mortgage banking and consumer banking. So best of both worlds, I got the commercial experience from Northeast and then the the uh, mortgage and consumer banking from Bangor Savings Bank and stayed there for six years and loved it. Loved the bank, loved the people. It was awesome. Um, this job with, at the time, it was called Barco Federal Credit Union, came up as the president CEO, and I thought that would be really cool to be a, a CEO. So um, I had enough confidence to apply for the job and um, I guess enough BS to um, to sell them during the interview as well. Um, now, for Bar- for our listeners, Barco uh, was a credit union that started as part of the uh, Bangor and Aroostook Railroad Company, correct? It it did. It was um, it wasn't owned or or part of the BNA Railroad, right. but it was they were our select employee group, so to speak. So we focused on their employees and provided financial services to their employees. So. Uh, yeah, it was the BNA Railroad, and the credit union was called Barco. And we, um, <clears throat> when we started growing and expanding, we felt a name change was important to, you know, better signify who we really were. So uh, Maine Savings Bank was a tremendous and the largest savings bank in the state for many, many years. And unfortunately, for various reasons, um they ended up going out of business and um, the the successors didn't didn't save the name or or um, you know save the name so I uh, had our law firm um, go in and and uh, secure that name and a number of years after that we we ended up changing our name to uh, to Maine savings so it, and, what a coup that was! The as you mentioned that that bank was a very very popular they bank, were. bank in the state of Maine and uh, yeah they so so you so you you're you're switching you're you not only are you taking over as a CEO first job as a president and CEO of a of an organization a credit union but you're also transitioning from a bank to a credit union. Can you tell us a little bit, what was, so you've got two challenges there, right? You've got one, yeah. you're, you're the leader, and then the other is a whole different type of an institution. Yeah, well, there were, there were a number of challenges. The, the, the biggest challenge, basically, was that um, the, the former president of Barco at the time um, was, uh, an embattled CEO who had major differences with the board and ended up losing his job. And that's why they were hiring a new person. And I might add, I was the second choice. The, uh, fortunately for me, the first person, their first choice lied on his resume. So, um, they found out before they, they actually hired him. So anyway, so I, I ended up with the job. Um, but when I got there, the company and the board were divided um, so I had to rebuild the trust, uh, really through transparency is what I, what I did, but I, I had to create our own culture, a new culture for the credit union. Um, again, I had to instill those, those three items of confidence, passion, and desire, 
um, with all of our staff. Uh, we wanted to be, I wanted the company to be leaders in our community. They weren't at the time. So um, we, uh, we wanted every person, as we do at Maine Savings currently, to, the, to be the best at what they do. And again, I, I still preach that. So I led with transparency with the staff, wanted them to know where I stood at all times. Um, it took time, and we actually ended up turning over almost the entire staff, unfortunately. Um, but it, it worked out in the end, and I was, I was very transparent with the board and eventually gained their trust because they had, they had lost their trust with the former CEO. So I, that was another thing that I had to, to work on and build, and they didn't know me at all. So they were you know, very nervous about that. So, do you remember how many uh, how many branches and roughly how many employees you might have had? Just an approximate number back then. Um, we had three branches and maybe twenty employees, possibly three branches, twenty employees. And for our listeners right now, Maine Savings has eleven branches and about one hundred and twenty-two employees. So, all right. Yeah. And then if you add in our subsidiary companies, we've right. got another 75 employees or so on top of that. But right. yeah. Yeah. So, um, so anyway, I, you know, I think, um, you know, I wanted us to be relevant in our community. And I, I think the credit union at the time really wasn't of the size that they were relevant. Um, but I wanted I wanted the credit to be in a, a position to make a difference. Um, so I think community is one of the most important things that that we focus on at Maine Savings, and and I think that's one of the most important things that most local businesses should focus on. You know, we've we've been all about creating more jobs. You know, we invest in the arts, we invest in our charitable organizations, we invest in local businesses, uh, really just to build a, a thriving, diverse place for for everyone to live. So um, there's nothing there's there's nothing like focusing on community. That's what to me drives all of us and our lives. Um, so we had a long way to go 30 years ago, but we've we've made great strides. And I and I I think we're not a a huge institution. We're one of the largest credit unions in the state, um, but among all financial institutions, we're not huge. But but I believe uh, wholeheartedly that we're relevant in our community for sure. And at that time, you credit unions didn't necessarily do mortgages, or very few, if if any, were doing mortgages, or very few, any or commercial lending. Is that correct? Right. That's so, absolutely correct. So when you talk about, you know, you talked about the tenets of confidence, the passion, the desire, all those things. And and what hit me also is specifically with the name changes is to be the leader at the level you're at in, in other organizations like that. You have to be a strategic thinker, which clearly you are. In many cases, what holds people back is that they're not able as they move up the ladder, they're not able to get out of the the. Uh, uh, you know, operational or tactical portion of, you know, thinking the way they operate. And you, you have yep. the foresight to, to pr- protect the, the name that you're from Maine Savings Bank. And then, and then you saw the opportunity with the uh, mortgage and commercial lending. Can you talk about that? Yeah, sure. You know, they, again, just the, the differences in banks and their charters, they, I would say that, um, you know, a mutual savings bank and a credit union charter are very similar in the sense that a credit union charter believes in operating in the best interest of their members because we're a financial cooperative. Uh, a mutual savings bank operates in the best interest of their depositors, which are their customers. So to me, those are very, very similar charters. But the difference comes when you when you look at a stock bank that that um is it's very very different so you know a stock bank operates in the best interest of their stockholders not necessarily their 
customers or their depositors. So as a credit union, strategically, we can plan long-term and our whole focus is on quality service for our members. Um, that's, that's entirely our focus. We don't have to worry about our stock price every quarter and have to do things to boost that. So, um, that's a distinct difference in the way banking charters are, are set up. So then, you know, again, when I, when I got to, uh, the credit union, um, you, you said it perfectly is that, uh, you know, we have, uh, such loyalty and trust from our members, yet we did very little in the way of mortgage banking or commercial banking. So, um, so I was trying to figure out, well, how can we do that? Well, um, because I, it was a, it's a tremendous uh, role that we, that we could play in the marketplace. So, uh, in the federal regulations, there's such a thing called a CUSO, which is a credit union service organization. And it allows a credit union to form a subsidiary company to focus on different types of services. And one of them is, is mortgage lending, and one of them is commercial lending. So I did a, a lot of research, and, and this is pre- pretty early on. I think I'd only been around for two or three years in the credit union area. So, um, so we did a lot of research and I, I gathered in some peers and that wasn't totally easy because, um, I was, I guess in my thirties, I was, you might say quite aggressive in the way I planned things and the credit union industry, I think was a little nervous with me because I was the banker that was coming over to their industry and this and that. But I did uh, become fairly close with a few of my my peers in the state, and I gathered them, and we all agreed to start a subsidiary mortgage company uh, called Cuso Mortgage Lending, and now it's called Cuso Home Lending, um, same type of thing. Um, and uh, what we what we did is what we do is we originate, process, underwrite, and sell mortgages for now for most of the credit unions in Maine and some in New Hampshire. So uh, it's a for-profit company. It's a subsidiary of one of Maine Savings subsidiaries. Um, and what that allowed the, the credit unions that either own CUSO or participated with CUSO is that it gave them the top expertise in the industry because our employees on the mortgage side at QSO are lifetime mortgage bankers. They know everything there is to know about mortgage banking. So it provide us, provided the credit unions with that expertise and the resources to, um, to compete in that business. Um, so uh, it allowed us to you know, really competitive pricing and the products that we needed to to compete. So it's 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 developed into one of the finest and the largest mortgage lenders in the state. And I know uh, some bankers will will be shocked at that, but um, it's hard to to really find out what mortgage lenders are actually doing for business. But I can tell you that we are. Uh, one of the largest lenders, if not the largest lender. We go back and forth with Bank or Savings Bank as as the number one or number two um, in the state. So it's been a, a tremendous deal for us. So <clears throat> again, uh, being aggressive, I I wanted to create a similar model for commercial lending, and I can remember you know, discussing this with the QSO board at the time, and they really were um, standoffish about commercial lending. It was just not that bailiwick. And, and of course, I had experience in it, so I felt that it's something that we needed to offer. Um, <clears throat> and they, they, I thought it should be under the umbrella of, of QSO home lending, and they just were not ready to go down that road. So 
we actually started business lending solutions at Maine Savings. So it was it was part of Maine Savings, and we were quite successful. And within, I don't know, a year or two, the QSO board came to us and said, would you consider per- uh, allowing us to purchase business lending solutions from Maine Savings and have it all under one umbrella, which we said, absolutely. That's the way we saw it from day one, so we'd be happy to do that, and that's what we did. So, um, so QSO Home Lending... And BLS are, um, you know, sister companies and, and subsidiaries of Maine Savings and a few other credit unions in the state. Um, and, uh, and again, BLS takes care of the commercial lending business for many of the credit unions in Maine and, and some in New Hampshire. So essentially, so essentially a, a member comes to a credit union that, that is – is uh, has a relationship with QSO or Business Lending Solutions. Uh, they come to the credit union. They want to do a home loan. It's it's underwritten or it's it's actually started in the in the credit union itself. And then well, it's yeah, it's a little different for for each credit union. So mm-hmm. depending on on how the credit union wants the service to happen. So we originate those loans for some credit unions, and some credit unions pr- prefer to originate the loan themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, so we touch almost every credit union in the state in one way or another. So some of them are full service, so we do absolutely everything for them. And others may want us just to do a certain piece of the, the business. So some of them may originate and close loans on their own, but we service their portfolio. So our, our servicing portfolio at CUSO now um, is at about $2 billion in assets. $2 billion. Unbelievable. That's amazing. Amazing. And and I would guess that with the regulations today, the compliance and, and all of those sorts of things, that that service is, is extremely valuable because it's hard to have the expertise that, you know, it's particularly at smaller credit unions that can keep up with right. that. Right. The size, the size of credit unions uh, hinder their, you know, the ability to have the expertise and the resources on staff. So, you know, based you know because we're financial cooperatives, we work really well together. All credit unions do, and um, so it's we're able to to have this subsidiary companies that that provides this service that credit unions um, you know do almost together. So you know, on the banking side, you wouldn't find that that would not be possible. They they're they're too competitive with each other. But on the credit union side, we're more into the the well-being, the financial well-being of our members and what's best for them. So we work together all over the state to provide the best best solution for them. It, it, it's an incredible, incredible organization. And again, uh, it goes back to uh, that that whole aspect of a leader and being a strategic thinker. And it, it, it you didn't set uh, it, sit back on your laurels and and just ride the, you know, the, the Barco or the main savings, you were continually thinking about how to expand. And, and it's amazing. And you think about the jobs that have been created with those companies and how it's allowed uh, uh, many, many of the credit unions to grow and prosper. So, uh, yeah, and it relates to, you know, the passion. I mean, I, I love the banking business. And I think most of the people that work with us on all sides, love the banking business. And so we're very aggressive about it, about providing excellent service. And um, we love working with the people we work with. So there's nothing better than that. You love your business and you love your people you, that you work with. So it's uh, it's a, uh, I feel blessed to be in that situation. Well, let's say, you know, in this journey, journey we've been on here talking about uh, from when you first started to the present, what, how has banking changed since you first got into the business? Maybe just a few of the highlights, and uh, what can we expect in the future with the way people do their banking? Sure. Yeah. They, obviously, the pandemic has has hastened everything. <laughs> I'm going to say so, um, which is, you know, it's a shame to go through this. But um, as far as business goes, it it's uh, sped up the process in many many areas. So. Talk about the the shift to digital services. 
So, you know, brick and mortar are still necessary. That's, I don't believe that's ever going to go away. People, even if they never step foot in your branch, I think it's, it's the sense of security when they drive by and see a, a nice standing uh, bank branch, credit union branch. It gives them a sense of security, even though they may never step foot in your branch. They they use all digital remote services, but um, so I think brick and mortar will will is, is still a necessity, and and pe- still there's people that desire face to face, but the move to digital and in remote services over the last two years have, has been phenomenal, and it will and that will continue to grow. Um, so I think, um, you know, uh, you know, the next thing is is certainly heightened security uh, pressures. Fraud is rampant and growing. So it's I I don't know if the the average person that's not involved in banking realizes how um, much fraud takes place every day. It's very difficult to keep up with. Uh, you have to have the expertise on staff. You have to have the the IT that supports that. And um, it's scary growth in fraud. So that's a that's a, a big deal for us going forward. And, and we don't see anything, you know, slowing down in that area, unfortunately. Uh, um, as you mentioned, a lot of the digital uh, digital banks, uh, the whole question about whether to have brick and mortar, whether to go digital combination. Do you worry about the Amazons of the world, the Walmarts of the absolutely. world, and all of those institutions starting these? Uh, uh, absolutely. Yeah, it's a huge, a huge issue. Worry about it all the time, and you know, it, it's. It's one of those things where it's important if they're going to be in the banking arena, they need to play by the same rules. And the the fear is that the Amazons or others will start operations and skirt some of the the banking laws or something and won't have to play by the same rules. And um, that's a problem if that happens. Um, So, yeah, that's a that's a big problem. And we, we just have to be creative and deal with it going forward. And and maybe partner with some of those fintechs, and as we do. Well, I think it's it, you. You talk about it all the time with our staff, and the the idea of we've got to continue to grow to to provide outstanding service in order to do the things that are necessary to compete. And and digital banking is one of the things we invested in the last year, as you know, significant amount in upgrading our digital banking. Uh, uh, process platform, and and that's that's going to continue to certainly continue to be one of our top priorities. Is how do we how do we grow and maintain that competitive edge? Yeah, it is, and uh, you know it's a huge cost to us, but but it's necessary. You you know you got to pay to play, so um, we definitely will continue in that in that area. Um, you know, there's new and changing compliance challenges all the time. You know, when they the White House turns over or Congress turns over, you know, some new po- politician has a, a better idea of, of what we ought to be doing and how to um, control what we do. So that's very frustrating. You know, there, I'm not, you know, I'm not high on compliance. I, compliance is extremely important to a certain extent, but, um, you know, the government tends to get their nose in places it shouldn't be. So that's that's always a challenge. We're always working with our delegations from on the state level and federal level on uh, reducing uh, uh, regulation. Um, and I think that one of the most important things really is the, uh, the need to adjust, adjust uh, leadership styles to accommodate, you know, the new work arrangements, uh, primarily uh, remote working. So we've we've seen it's been forced on us through the pandemic. Um, we've seen that it can work and it can be it can work very effectively and very efficiently. So we think during the pandemic, our backshop office was definitely the vast majority were working remotely. Um, and I think in the future there will be probably some hybrid model. Um, it's so dynamic. Everything's changing every day. But 
I think it's really important for management to keep their minds open. And it's just very easy to say, well, we, you know, we need to bring everyone back. We, we're losing that face-to-face, um, you know, type of thing, which, which is important. And, and I, I don't know where, where I'm going to fall on that. Um, but I know it'll be some type of hybrid model. It won't be one or the other. Um, it's just too much involved and, and too many, uh, things to look at, but, uh, that's going to be a huge management and leadership, um, change going forward to, uh, to recognize the benefits and the, the shortcomings of, of that. So. And as you mentioned, uh, COVID, COVID forced us into doing some of those things that we had talked a little bit about, but really, uh, you know, it weren't forced to do it and, and probably may have put it, put it off for a little bit longer other than a few positions. Our, uh, our, yeah, I, I our think- mortgage and lo- our lending people worked remotely and really, really did a tremendous job over the last year, despite their remote work. Yeah, they have. They have. And they, it's one of those things where we knew we could do it, but we didn't dare take that step. And right. the pandemic forced it onto us. And by gosh, it it works. You're right. You know, to a certain extent. No, as you say, this is this is something I think all businesses are going to continue to look at. I think that the data and the studies are, are out there and going to be continued to uh, be evaluated. And I think there's a long way to go before we settle on. And it may it may be different for every company. Every company may have uh, some different work uh, yeah. mix of uh, remote, hybrid, and uh, in-person. Uh, yeah, I agree. Employees. I agree. Well, uh, Don, let's talk, just we finish up, uh, just a couple questions. Uh, what I want to talk, one, about uh, the newest news, the big news for Maine Savings, before we get into a couple last questions I want to ask you, the Maine Savings Amphitheater. Let's talk yes. about that. That's great. Love to. Great news. <laughs> We're very excited about it. Um, so I think the, you know, the things that I can say about that is, yeah, it's huge news. It's going to drive, you know, our growth in our community and in our marketing efforts will be um, built around the main savings amphitheater. Uh, it's a huge investment for us but one that I think will pay dividends uh, for us and in our community. So I think it's a good example of networking and, and building relationships. And I think any leader that's, that's a huge part of, of, of leading is building your networks and building relationships. So I'm sure that many large organizations would have loved to have have, have the naming rights. And they're probably scratching their heads saying, how in heck did Maine Savings end up with this? Um, well, I I can tell you that I built relationships with waterfront concerts before they were waterfront concerts. So I, you know, I, I met folks there that were in different jobs at the time. Um, Chris Rudolph is a, is a good example. He was a bartender, I think, at, um, at Patty Murphy's. And uh, it's a place that I would frequent to, um, to have their good food. And, and um, <laughs> so uh, we, you know, we became, became friends many, many years ago. And, um, and that's, that's just uh, grown over the years. So the, the, uh, when the naming rights uh, came available, uh, Waterfront Concerts called me. And I, I don't believe they called anyone else. So we jumped up at that, and um, we're we're really really happy with it. We're we're very proud to think that we've positioned ourselves to be, to be able to do this. Um, again, we want to be relevant in our community, and this is the biggest thing going in the Greater Bangor area by far. Um, so our our commitment to the arts in the area um, to improve the arts to improve diversity, to, to support our local businesses, to create jobs, and actually to, to help Greater Bangor to become a destination. Can you imagine if Bangor actually ever became a destination? Well, I think 
with the amphitheater uh, and the improvements that are going to be done for the starting in the 2022 season are going to be unbelievable. It's going to be a beautiful, fabulous facility. And it can put Bangor on the map to be a destination for anyone in Maine or New England and in Canada, for that matter, to, uh, to choose to travel to Bangor to a beautiful facility to, to hear and see some of the greatest names in music. So we're, we're just unbelievably overwhelmed and happy with that. I know that the staff is extremely excited. Our members are excited. And as you, as you say, it's, it's part of networking and it just, uh, the beginning of it was a great example of how networking can pay off as a leader and how it can open doors down the road. Well, that kind of, that, that's a great segue into uh, my final question here is it, you've talked, uh, you've talked about a few of the elements, but what advice would you have for someone starting out and having that aspiration to be in your position? You've got a great transition. Well, I think we've got a wonderful example of uh, the, the lady who is going to eventually replace you. We hired as a teller, and I'm not sure uh, if she had thought about all these things when she first started, but what advice, what advice would you have for somebody starting out? Well, I think, um, again, my, my three items that I focused on today, you know, you've got to have the confidence and the passion. And you've got to be a community leader. So, you know, if you, I mean, an education is extremely important. Um, that gives you the foundation. It doesn't uh, make you a leader, uh, but it, it provides the foundational work for you to excel from there. So, you know, I, I again, I know some of the leaders and CEOs that I've been involved with, uh, many of them have not had a, a four-year degree, um, but they've been some of the best leaders that I've ever worked with. Uh, my wife, Karen, you know, didn't finish at UMaine, and she was uh, one of the most, one of the best mortgage bankers uh, in the state. And um, so it's, uh, you know, I think it's, it's the confidence and the passion that you, you bring to the table. And you need to network. So the young people need to network and build relationships because you can't you can't take that away from anyone. So I, I guess I guess those are the items that I would I would really focus on. Yeah, and I, and as I mentioned, I, I would add in it, you your examples throughout your career of, of thinking forward, forward thinking, strategic thinking not being mired into the present, the operational pieces, that's what led you to pr protect the, or, or get the main savings name, to, to start business lending, to look at these opportunities, whether it was the University of Maine or Waterfront Concerts. It's that forward-thinking uh, mentality that, that all leaders need to have. Well, Yeah, I think you're right. Well, John, this has been a fast hour uh, unbelievable. I really enjoyed it. It's flown by and I really appreciate you taking the time to give us a, a glimpse of what a, a, a long career, uh, very, very, very uh, successful career thus far. And you're not done yet. You've got, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> you've got over a year left and I know uh, the transition it started. Vanessa Medor is, is now the president. Right. You, you carry the CEO title until uh, January of 23, and then you'll yeah. be uh, doing a little bit of consulting after that. But uh, yeah, exactly. And I'm so happy for Vanessa. She's, uh, you know, she is a sharp individual that cares deeply about our members and the community. It couldn't be a better person. So I'm, I'm really excited about working with her. And and I would just just add, Rob, that one of my biggest successes is um, I would have to say. And, and I don't think many leaders can say this, is that I 
have had the pleasure of having a brigadier general report up to me in my career. <laughs> you had the pleasure of having a brigadier general work as a teller for three weeks when I first started. <laughs> oh, it's been a it's been a, a great ride, and and uh, I'm sure I'll talk more about that at some point in the future about how amazing it's been for me. So, uh, you know, I look forward to sharing the last year plus with you and then many many fun times after that hopefully and the, i just want to mention the last thing the irony with vanessa is as you know well is you mentioned that you were not the first choice when you were selected to to be the ceo and the irony is i initially turned down vanessa when she got out of college and she applied for a job here i thought she was overqualified so she had to apply a second time <laughs> <It was well. laughs> that's right that's right so and, and now hilarious. she's going to fill those shoes down the road exactly. well, well again thanks so much for your time it's been very enlightening and and maybe we'll talk again in the future when uh, when you're uh, it, just starting your retirement I hope so. Thanks a lot. I appreciate it. Great. Well, this is uh, Rob Carmichael with another Mainly Matters in Business and Leadership. I want to thank John Reed, and I look forward to talking with you again soon. Thank you.